everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bits and Bytes. Uh, this time we have our special guest, Spiro, from the Gaming Stadium. Um, so Spiro, I just want to, you know, uh, open the floor. How about you introduce yourself to uh, some of our re- listeners? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. My name is Spiro, um, as you mentioned, CEO of, of the Gaming Stadium. And so, uh, yeah, just a bit of background on me personally. I mean, I'm, I'm a gamer. I've been one my whole life. Um, you know, I got my first Nintendo when I was when I was five years old, and I haven't really put down a controller or, or today a keyboard since. So um, to me, uh, gaming has always been a passion of mine. I've had the luxury of, of working at EA as part of my history um, and be able to be part of a marketing team to promote a game kind of on the back end. And then, you know, in, in 2011, 2012, started to get exposed to esports and really said, uh, you know, this is something that in my opinion has some legs. At the time, it was like we just called it competitive gaming. I didn't know what the term esports meant. Um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, started to follow that as a passion which led us to where we are now with the gaming stadium so for me like you know what i do on a day-to-day basis is is purely born out of out of passion um and a love for for the industry and what it does awesome and so for those that may not be familiar with the gaming stadium do you want to just give us an old explanation of what it is and the impact that the gaming stadium has especially in the esports culture yeah, for sure. So uh, the gaming stadium uh, as a facility was developed in uh, 2018. And so originally the concept was uh, a facility where people could come and play games. I mean, you know, for those of us that are a bit older, we grew up with arcades. Uh, there are still some now, you know, there's a rec room opening in Burnaby, uh, hopefully fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when, when I grew up, uh, every mall had an arcade um, and everywhere had a place where you could go and play because not everybody could afford to buy the equipment that was needed to participate or couldn't afford to buy every single game that came out. And so uh, when the original concept for the gaming stadium was put together, it was an opportunity for those that needed a place to play, whether it was uh, due to financial reasons couldn't afford a PC or couldn't afford, you know, equipment or again, buying every game. Um, Or for those that were just looking to get out of of their house every once in a while. I mean, I think we all know the online gaming culture can, can sometimes not be the greatest. Uh, Toxic is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit. And so when you bring that experience in person, it creates a totally different environment. And so in 2018, uh, we came up with the idea of, of developing a facility um, to accomplish those goals. Uh, As time went on, our philosophy of what we wanted it to be changed. Um, and what we ended up settling on after a lot of consultation and discussions with the community was basically building a community center, which is what we have. And and our, our whole thought process is when you go to a traditional community center, there's basically, you know, uh, high level, two things you can do. Number one, you can go any day of the week and you can pay a fee to go in and use their facility. There's a gym. There's typically a, a, you know, a fitness center. There might be a yoga studio. There might be a daycare, whatever the case may be. However, on top of the everyday uses, they have very specific programming that they do throughout the week. So they'll do drop-in basketball on a Wednesday. They'll do yoga class on a Thursday morning. Uh, I have a two-year-old son and our local community center every Thursday afternoon, pre-COVID, of course, um, did a drop-in um, playtime where the gymnasium would be filled with like cars and play mats and all these fun things. And those are meant to build community. And so with the gaming stadium, we basically took that concept and brought gaming as the conduit. So seven days a week, anybody can walk into our facility, pay a fee and utilize our equipment however they see fit. We're open all the time for anyone who wants to just come in. But um, most days, five days a week before we closed due to COVID, we would actually run specific tournaments to drive that community, whether that was Fortnite 
or Counter-Strike or Valorant or whatever the case may be. And the reason was we wanted to develop a social community utilizing video games as the conduit to bring those people together. And when you have that layout and that setup, it allows people to walk into a place where they don't know anyone, but instantly have something in common with them. And so you're able to get people to engage in conversation and build friendship and build loyalty um, through a video game, which is a pretty magical thing. So, um, you know, again, 2018 was one concept where we are today is different. Uh, we opened our facility in Richmond uh, in, in June of 2019. Uh, so uh, as a company, we've been running events uh, out of TGS since then. And then, of course, since March, uh, due to COVID, I've been focused mostly in the online space. Awesome. Yeah. And so um, the gaming scene, when you were first developing this community center for gamers, like what were some of the challenges you faced? Because I know this is the first of its kind, especially in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What were some of the things that you were just not expecting or some things that like were just so out of the blue or... What were some of the challenges that you expected to come and how did you handle all of those? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a long list of them. Um, so, you know, at, at the start, you know, if you go back to like pre-construction, um, you know, you're dealing with architects and and um, construction companies that have never done something like this before. Mm -hmm. And so when you're laying the foundation for your internet or your power drops, um, or even just where the screens are going to go, where the microphones are going to be, where the speakers are facing, everything is from scratch. And so there's a lot of back and forth in developing those entities to ensure that they meet the requirements that we as a gaming facility need. So that was the challenge was the challenge at the start was was that um, once we got ready to open, the challenge then became systems. So, you know, when you go to a hotel, for example, when you go to check in, they have a fully integrated system, right? They check you in. Let's say you book online, you check in at the hotel, you walk into your room, you turn on the TV, it says, you know, hi, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for booking this hotel. We hope you enjoy your stay. Uh, room service. Uh, if you go to restaurants, and the, it's all it's all correlated in one system. Um, that doesn't really exist for us. So we were using like Google Drive. We were using, you know, we have we have a POS system. We use Square as our POS system. You know, we have two to three different tournament, um, uh, third-party tournament providers that we use. So it was a mishmash of getting a bunch of different things that did one thing really well and trying to get them to speak to each other to make sure that the overall guest experience was really good. And at the beginning, that was a challenge, a huge challenge. Now, We've come a long way, but we came a long way because the first three to six months that we were open, it was a learning experience, taking feedback from our guests um, and going from there. The last challenge, um, which is more gaming related, um, was, uh, <laughs> was, was an interesting one. And it was um, not in advance because we hadn't had to do this before, white labeling RIP. Um, and so, um, uh, so, so basically what happened was like... Um, we put on a tournament, I believe, oh man, the game is escaping me. I want to say it was Apex or it could have been Fortnite. Oh, there were two, actually two different issues. So number one was Apex. We had an Apex tournament and uh, too many people signed in from one location. And oh. so when that happens, uh, the, the developer or the servers on EA side uh, assume that someone's trying to hack their system. And so they shut out that whole um, IP address. And so we had to get on the phone and it took us quite a while, but we managed to get it back online. So we learned right there that when we're doing large tournaments, because it's coming from one connection, up to 60 people playing at once, 
we have to white label our IP address. That was that was a massive learning. And then on the other side, it's the same thing with Steam. So um, when you have a few different uh, failed login attempts on Steam, it shuts you out for a period of time. It says up to 30 minutes. Sometimes it's quicker. And so we had a Fortnite tournament where uh, one person uh, tried to log in five or six times and it shut them out. Now, the problem is because it was all one IP address, everybody got shut out from Steam. And so, yeah. So literally the only thing you can do at that point is like sit back and wait until that person's uh, account has been reset and then log in. So now we have like a rule um, where if you've tried logging in three times and it doesn't work, reset your password. Um, Because, uh, yeah, like white labeling an IP address with Steam is a much more difficult proposition than just Mm -hmm. going to a developer and saying like, here's our IP address or here's, we have two or three um, and we're running this tournament on this day. So if you see a bunch of signups, this is why. Um, So though, like, yeah, a lot of different challenges, but um, all very interesting to learn. And we couldn't have done them if we didn't experience it and then learn from it. So actually like what, what you talked about and in past episodes, we've interviewed different entrepreneurs, like a lot of, of failure, like does build a better product over time. And I think that's, this is, this is not no longer an opinion. I think it's fact. Um, but like for you guys with, with events and very public, I guess I, I hesitate to call it mistakes, but like you call it learning, like what, you know, mentally gets you keep going to actually try and do it again. Because you know, when, when, you're, you're running a 60, 60 man tournament. It shuts down completely. Like, you know, it, it's got a, you're, you're human, right? So, so like it what kind of gets you to do another apex tournament? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think with anyone who's a tournament organizer, specifically in this space, it's the desire to be better. Like that's what I think everybody aspires, right? They aspire to put on the perfect tournament. They aspire to put on the event that doesn't have hiccups that everybody loves. And so for us, when we see an opportunity like that, um, we say, okay, um, we know we messed up, even though it wasn't really our fault. Um, we could have done more in advance. So it's like, okay, if this is the only thing that goes wrong in this tournament, then that's an amazing thing because we can fix this problem, right? Um, so for us, Sam, it's like, it's, it's, it's the desire to be better and the desire to be perfect. The other thing is, as a company that specializes in putting tournaments on, like we're judged solely on that experience. And so if we do a bad one, there are basically two options. Number one, take our ball and go home. Or number two is make it better. So that community doesn't turn against us or doesn't have a negative view of who we are. If, if as a company that's focused on doing that thing, if we can't fix it, um, then we're nothing. And the comparable to that is like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and um, you wait like 45 minutes or an hour for your burger and then the burger comes and the burger's like pretty good, good enough to the point where you say, okay, I'm going to give this place another chance. Like that restaurant has two options, right? They can close their doors because they can't get a burger ready in 45 minutes or, or less. Or number two is they can create a system or a process that makes it better the next time. And then when you go back the next time and have a, a better experience, then you're hopeful that like, okay, now my fries are still warm or my Coke is cold or whatever the case may be. So um, it's just a desire to get better. And it's, it's a necessity of our business. So it's not fun, dude. Like it sucks. Um, <laughs> it sucks. Uh, the other thing we do is, is we do our best to reward people. So like during that, so, so the apex one's a pretty funny story. Um, 
when that happened, we didn't know how long it was going to take to come back online. So we're lucky to have some tremendous partners. So this one took place at a third-party venue in Burnaby near Metrotown. And so we called Memory Express, who are an amazing partner of ours, and said, hey, we've just kind of had a blow up here. Can we run to the store on Kingsway and pick up a bunch of stuff? And they said, yeah. So we went and we grabbed like three keyboards, a bunch of headsets, some mice, a bunch of equipment. We went back to the venue. This is within maybe 30 to 45 minutes. And we had everyone that was playing put their names in a hat and we just did a draw for prizing. It helped fill the time, but it also let our guests know that we were trying to work on the problem, but we cared enough about them that we were willing to invest money in giving stuff away to make their experience better. And so there are things you can do to alleviate those issues. Um, you, you just have to, basically have gone through them to know what you have to do to counteract a potential problem. Yeah. I was going to say like, do you think people, especially like, I think we describe them as early adopters, um, people that, you know, are giving you a shot and maybe they've never heard of gaming statement before. Are they usually, you know, more understanding, understanding that this whole space is new or, or what, what's your experience been like on that? It's all about communication. So um, the, the key to any successful partnership or relationship um, is, is communication. And so for us, when we're putting on a tournament, we're, we're constantly speaking to the people that are playing in it to make sure they understand exactly what's going on. And that can be, uh, again, in person, you know, we've got tournament organizers everywhere and we always tell them the truth, right? Oh, this is what happened. It's an IP address problem and we're trying to fix it. We're on the phone with EA, you know, and, right away they know it's not our mistake or if it is our mistake it's it's a it's an oversight that's acceptable um but you have to communicate now because of covid and what we're doing with online everything is run through discord like every tournament if you're playing in it you have to be a part of that community in our discord because that's where all the communication takes place so um what we have found is when you talk to people and have a conversation with them and most importantly are transparent um they they tend to understand and are willing to give you another chance uh, you're going to get those people who come on and say your tournament sucks and we're never coming back and that's okay that's their opinion um can't fix everything but uh we have a huge emphasis on communication and that usually helps solve most of any potential issues yeah definitely communication is always key <laughs> and yeah, for sure yep um, so kind of like going on about esports too, like, what do you think of like the esports industry like in Vancouver? Because I know Vancouver is known to be, you know, has a growing um, gaming sector. Mm -hmm. Like our gaming industry is quite strong, you would mm -hmm. say, across Canada. What about the esports section particularly? Yeah, so Vancouver is um, on the precipice of being like, a, in my opinion, Canadian, North American, even global leader in the space. And so... Um, Number one, obviously, we're happy to be a part of that puzzle with our facility. Number two, uh, we're blessed to have a professional Overwatch team that that plays uh, out of Vancouver. Um, you know, number three, if you look at some of the things that are happening, so like um, back in February, you know, we announced an event called TGX, the gaming experience that was supposed to take place in September. It's obviously been postponed to next year, um, which was a hundred thousand square foot plus esports and gaming convention at the Vancouver Convention Center over three days. Like that's in partnership with the Vancouver Convention Center. So like those guys are really leading the way in trying to bring esports events to Vancouver. So that would been 
that will be, would have been awesome in September, but will be huge for the city. Also, the Vancouver Economic Commission. So the Vancouver Economic Commission, um, you know, they, they went out and were able to uh, bring on uh, someone uh, by the name of Sean, um, who's basically uh, writing uh, a paper and a report for the federal government that talks about esports in our landscape and then how the government can potentially help that grow. But that's being um, headed here in, in Vancouver. Uh, you know, you look at, at, at groups like Vancouver Street Battle, um, you look at all of these amazing organizations that have been around for a while and what they're doing to develop community. Um, you know, I think that people don't realize how much actually already happens and exists in Vancouver um, that they're looking to, uh, you know, try to grow. We held the international here a couple of years ago. Like that's a huge accomplishment, right? And it went extremely well. Um, you know, we've held LCS uh, spring finals twice now, I believe. I think it was 2014 and maybe 2015. I can't remember uh, if it was 14 and 15, but um, you know, we've held, we've held that now. And so um, as a city, we're lucky. And, and I know, um, that there are organizations, big organizations that are looking to bring events to Vancouver. Um, if you take it a step further, um, you know, you've got events like LTX, Linus Tech Expo, which is a massive event that happens here every year put on by the Linus Media Group. Last year, for the first year, they partnered with DreamHack and they had an esports activation as part of LTX. So there's so many different things that are happening in the city. Um, I think people don't realize maybe because they're not paying as much attention um but i think the development and growth here is it's like literally like we're on the precipice of becoming like one of those key markets uh for esports specifically canada and then of course north america and and beyond so <clears throat> I, th I think there's a couple of things there i think i guess one how has how has this happened and and two like what do you think the the public opinion of it is cuz in my opinion esports is still early mm -hmm. i think a lot of the people that are that are involved you included like you know it it to some degrees you are taking a risk on the industry itself um but but like what's what's the public perception right now and and i think i think it ties into a lot with not just esports gaming but but gaming in general and and youth and the perception of gaming right because when you and i growing up i i don't know about I don't know your parents at all. Right. But you know, my parents always like, you know, study more game less. Right. Like, yeah, it's a very general statement that I'm, I don't think I'm breaking any, breaking any barriers here by saying, yeah, totally. But like, what, what, what do you think is, how has this happened? And like, what, what needs to happen for it to continue to grow? And I guess specifically talking about our, you know, localized community here. Yeah. So I, I, I think, um, so the localized community is one thing, and then there's the, the greater community that, that has affected it as well. So the localized community for me, um, it, it starts at the core of what's happening in secondary and post-secondary schools. So um, UBC has had an esports club for a long time and one of the best in, in North America. I mean, you know, they're constantly um, reaching the finals or, or getting really close to that in League of Legends. They have an amazing League of Legends team, um, but their esports club is, is growing. SFU recently um, adopted an esports club and have started. Last year, Langara announced an esports club that just got started. Uh, if you look at high schools, um, in this year alone, TGS has interacted with 20 different high schools across the Lower Mainland, whether it's um, you know, we, we went to a school in Coquitlam and, and produced a, a, a League of Legends finals at their school um, that featured six high schools that 
were in the region. We work with the Metro Vancouver Secondary School Esports Association and putting on events with them. So when you look at that, um, it's it's now becoming like a, a secondary part of a curriculum where it's not part of like, you know, your your math and your sciences and whatnot, but it's an option for people to engage with in a high school and a university level. And that's that's huge for development. Um that's kind of where it started for me. Um, you know, the other thing that I don't think we can discount is just general communication. Like when we were growing up, um, there wasn't a lot of information readily accessible about anything, let alone this industry. And so now like parents have the ability to research. Right. And so when I talk about internationally, um, there's one thing in particular that was a massive catalyst for us when it came to engaging with parents. And that was the Fortnite world cup. So when the Fortnite World Cup happened and two 14-year-olds won the duos tournament and then Buga, a 16-year-old, won, you know, whatever he won. I don't even remember, three million or maybe more. I can't yeah. remember. Um, you know, that opened up a lot of eyes because it was it was on TV. It was an international event. It was held at Arthur Ashe Stadium where the U.S. Open tennis match played in New York. Um, you know, the, the, the prize pools were insane and the people winning were young. And um, if you remember when Buga won, the first scene are his parents in the audience like cheering and going crazy. And so when stuff like that happens, you know, CNN covered it, ESPN covered it, um, Yahoo covered it, all of these major outlets covered it. Like, now our parents who are reading their news on a daily basis are now seeing this and it's like oh my gosh like my son is playing a game where this kid just won three million um and so uh it's just about that that general uh overall exposure um in terms of development you know I, i think I think having game studios in Vancouver has been a huge boon to us. EA has been here forever and almost everyone that lives here knows EA has a massive campus in Burnaby. And so um, there's a direct correlation already inherently with Vancouver and video games. So it makes the communication here easier than I think in a lot of other places. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I personally know from like, you know, parents not understanding the gaming world. Like when I, um, <laughs> you know, growing up as a kid, like, you know, gaming's fine, but they're always like, oh, you know, don't play too much, focus on your studies yeah. and, you know, it's gaming's bad for your health. And then now it's like really awesome to see that there's a generation merge now, like parents are having kids and their parents already were gamers. So they're introducing their children to gaming. Um, and personally speaking, like when I started, like, you know, I stream sometimes not as much anymore, but when I first started streaming, they just, my parents were just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. what is this? And when they finally see that, was, you know, getting traction, getting some money off of this, they're like, you know what? This is cool. Like, yeah, definitely yeah. Like a, <laughs> it's really cool to see that open-mindedness now a lot more. Yeah, it's 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 like like I, I think your point is so well made. Like like I said, I've got I've got a two year old son, right? And mm. um and so I've got like um you know in my in my office I've got a bunch of gaming like paraphernalia, and and so he's getting exposed to that at a really young age. But the other thing he's doing is like like he'll pick up a controller that's not connected to anything and just mash the buttons, or he'll watch me when I'm watching Twitch streams, or um I bought these two like mini um arcade cabinets. You know, they're like eight inch arcade cabinets or whatever, yeah. bubble bobble. And, and he'll just like, he'll mash the buttons and the characters on screen do something. And because I grew up with gaming, um, it's easy for me to have that conversation. But the gaming stadium early recognized that not everybody's in that situation. So we actually put a plan in place to combat that. So 
anyone who comes to our facility, there's basically two ways that, that you can engage with us. Number one is you pay a fee. And that fee is if you want to use our equipment or play in a tournament. It's pretty simple. But if you're coming to our stadium just to hang out, uh, to watch your child play or your brother or your sister, uh, we actually don't charge a penny. And the reason we did that is we don't want there to be any barrier to entry for anyone who's coming to visit us. We want to engage people. We want to have conversation. We want to expose people to what our industry is all about. It's not a bunch of people bullying people. It's not a bunch of negativity. It's friends getting together and using a form of escapism to connect in a way that, in my opinion, hasn't been available up until the last few years. And so um, I think the more we can engage the parents that may not understand, and the more we can educate them, uh, the better it's going to be long-term. Yeah. And do you think like, you know, from a parent standpoint too, like if, you know, there's parents watching this and they're like, you know, hesitant about allowing their kids play too much games, like what do you think are some of like the practical benefits there are for the children to get into gaming? Yeah. Oh my God. There's so many. So it depends on the game, but like, like let's take, let's take Counter-Strike as an example or Valorant. Um, the, the, the economy and the decision-making is so crucial to development. Like if you think about it, you've got a very finite or finite, sorry, amount of time to make a decision of how you want to spend your money and what you're going to spend your money on and how it's going to benefit your team. But also in those games, how can I help? So if this guy doesn't have enough money, can I buy something and send it to him and then buy some? Like that decision-making with actual economy is like so crucial in long-term development. But people, when you do it in gaming, it's fun, right? So you don't feel like you're learning. And so it's a great way to expose people to how to understand how a basic, a basic economy of buying and selling things works. On top of that, um, communication. So when you're playing a team-based game, communication is of the utmost importance. We all know that, right? And so you're doing it through a game and you're learning how to communicate. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned to you guys earlier before we were alive that I'm a, I'm a PUBG loyalist, right? And so when you're playing a game like that, you can't just say, oh, there's a guy to the left, there's a guy to the right, because everyone's looking a different direction. You've got to, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. you've got to call out like a specific, like, oh, he's Three. West. Yeah, he's West 260 behind this rock that's next to this big Christmas tree. Like you've got to call stuff out. And so it's teaching you how to communicate effectively with your teammates. And so, I mean, those are two really quick examples, but there are so many of these on a daily basis um, that can really help young people um, learn. And so I think to be honest, we're going to see gamification of the curriculum in schools as the next step in student development because it allows students to learn while playing a game so it doesn't feel like learning. I think that's the next like generation of, of learning is digital learning through gamification, um, but video games are already doing that all the time. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think part of it is, sorry to cut you off, is, is, is like I think gaming does, does get a bad rap uh, because I think we immediately, when, when you know, Gina was talking about our experiences, is like we immediately go to things like being antisocial, going to video game addiction and, you know, toxicity even. Like, and, all, and I don't want to say all those things are not there. They're, they are 100% there. Yep. But these are also there in pretty much every aspect of anything. Like, is there bullying in school? Yeah, but you don't stop going to school because there's bullying, right? Like you, sure. you teach your kids to, to, you know, combat that, to build self-esteem, self-worth, those kind of things. Like, and, and to me, like, 
I think throwing a child in, and I don't have any children, so maybe I'm speaking out of line, but, but throwing a child in, in front of a game, like that isn't parenting. You have to teach them like what's going on, right? Like the, the role of parents still, still needs to be there, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just leave them there for 10 hours a day. Of course, they're going to get addicted. This is all they know. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So, so it's such a good point. So um, when, we were, when we were leading up to opening, we actually put on a bunch of events in and around the city, and that was meant to engage people. So one of the events that we did was about a month after we opened, we took over the center court at Metrotown on a Saturday, and we had like a free-to-play. So we had, uh, I think, 20 PCs and 10 Nintendo Switches. And it was anyone who was at the mall that day could just come and play. And so we were engaging with parents who asked us the same question. And so our our response is the same every time. Say, okay, um, does your child partake in hobbies? Yes. What do they do? Um, my daughter plays piano. Does she play piano for 10 hours a day? Well, no, of course not. That, well, then why is it okay if, on the gaming side? Like, you know, oh, my son plays hockey. Well, if he just skates for 10 hours a day, is that going to make him a better hockey player? Well, no, of course not. So it's the same philosophy. Like if you treat gaming as a hobby like any other hobby, as parents, we need to do our part in making sure that we're monitoring that that's not happening for far too long. But that's like a parent by parent thing. Some parents are okay with it. I mean, you know, my wife and I, we have a strict rule about how many hours of cartoons a day our son can watch because, you know, for development, is it good or bad? It's up to the individual to make that determination. But it's the same with gaming. Like parameters have to be set around it. Um, it, it can be treated as a reward mechanism. But I also think people need to understand, like, it's not the negativity that a lot of people will paint it out to be. There are a tremendous amount of positives and we focus on the positives and it's about talking about it and telling those stories and, and educating people on what it is. Um, that's why we love talking. That's why we do all these events. That's why we go out because it's important for us to engage um, the parents so they have an understanding. The other thing that, that we do on our end is we have a two-tiered approval system. So if you're under the age of 18 and you're playing in a tournament, you have to get a waiver assigned by a parent to play. And then if you actually win a prize, your parent also has to sign a waiver releasing that prize to you. And that's so the parent is engaged every step of the way. And if they have questions, they can ask us. And if they feel like this isn't set up well for their child to play in, then they simply don't sign. It's like going on a field trip, right? I don't want my kid to go here. Okay, then don't sign the paper and they can stay and do homework, like whatever, right? So, um, Yeah. So, so I, there's a lot to unpack, um, you know, in this conversation. Um, but I think it's important that we, we take a positive approach and we educate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even nowadays too, like I just branching off of the earlier comment about um, gamification being kind of like part of the new education system. I believe like as a post-secondary, I think it is like university colleges, like they're even offering like esports or gaming related courses now. Like it's becoming, we already started seeing those changes. I don't know if it's happening yet in Vancouver. I hope it does, <laughs> but you it know. Is. So um, <laughs> Vancouver Animation School or uh-huh. VanS as they're called, they actually launched last year um, an esports management program. Wow. So I think it's a four-week diploma, so a really short course, or it's like a four to six month um, like mini degree. Um, they just they just launched it. Like I think it launched 
maybe January this year or late last year. Um, they're the first ones that I have seen that are actually offering like a paid curriculum around the business and the management of eSport. Um, but I, in our conversations, like we, we've been talking to groups all over the world and I know it's a huge part of um, some businesses that are going to be coming up fairly soon. But I think a lot of them are looking to monetize on extracurricular. So looking to monetize on a program outside of your traditional university where you can sign up for maybe a virtual course and get like a diploma from an accredited school but not as part of an accredited program like it's just its own thing kind of off to the side doesn't count for credits or whatever um but it's it's yeah it's it's so it, it's starting um and in vancouver the only school i know right school i know right now is the vancouver animation school they're the ones that have that program and it's all digital it's all virtual so it's great wow it's awesome yeah, yeah. all right um so yeah so one of the uh <laughs> the questions we had um if you were able to create your own dream team. Let's say they had to work for you at the gaming stadium, but the only um, restriction is that they had to be pro gamers. Who would you choose and why? <laughs> this, his answer is going to be very specific to a very small bunch of people that are going to understand his answer. How many? How and many am gonna, I saying here? They're going to be so angry at him, whatever I know. he says. How many, am I, how, many, how many am I picking here? Uh, like two, three? Let's say three. Let's say three. <laughs> okay, so top of my list is is Nade Shot. Um, uh, just I, I, so give I, some I, context. Who's Nade? Sure. So Nade Shot is a former um, professional Call of Duty player. Uh, he was one of the catalysts in making Optic Gaming. You know, at the time, the, the biggest uh, esports org in the world. Um, he has since retired, and he started an organization called The Hundred Thieves. A um, Hundred Thieves, uh, for those that don't know, uh, are really, in my opinion, the first esports brand to transcend professional teams and actually penetrate pop culture. Um, you know, they're, they're streetwear driven. You know, when they announced their pop-up shop in LA, they had a lineup of 500 people and it sold out in like an hour, all their merchandise. Um, they, they have an amazing content team with, um, you know, Courage and Pokimane and some other people. Um, or sorry, not Pokimane, uh, Valkyrie is on their team. Um, so, you know, they've got an amazing group of people and Nate Shot basically took his experiences as a pro gamer and, and transition that into leading an organization. He's not the CEO of them. You know, they're valued in the hundreds of millions, um, but he has a tremendous vision and his vision is to create an all-encompassing brand as opposed to focusing on just being a really good Call of Duty player or Call of Duty team. Um, so he would be like my first just because he's proven that he can do it as a player and as a leader of an organization. Um, and I'm just a huge fan of what they built as a brand. So um, he would be number one. Uh, number two, uh, would be someone who's more on the business side. It would be Rick Fox. Uh, so, you know, Rick Fox, for those that don't know, a multi-time NBA champion with the LA Lakers, um, was the first real celebrity, um, to invest in esports. Um, you know, uh, he's got an amazing story. His, his son was huge into League of Legends and took him to a League of Legends match. Um, and he watched it. It was, I think it was at Madison Square Garden um, or maybe Staples Center, one of the two, fell in love with it. And literally, like when their plane landed back home, um, you know, he bumped into another team owner and was convinced on the spot to basically start a team. And, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a huge proponent for esports. Um, he's still, as he says, stuck in the iron basement uh, when it comes to League of Legends. But his personality and his drive to make esports a better place is something that I would love to uh, be able to tap into. Um, he's Canadian too. He's Canadian. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, he's Canadian. So uh, I actually, I ran into him at, at an event uh, coincidentally, and we had an amazing conversation around esports and just kind of, um, you know, this was post Echo Fox, uh, amazing conversation just around esports and the Canadian landscape. And so, um, yeah, just, just a great mind and someone who really believes in this industry. So that's somebody that I would definitely love to have on my team. And then um, the third person is is tough because there's a few different ones that I'd like to I'd like to have here. But um, I, I think for me, uh, the third person would probably be my favorite streamer, just because um, they're really good at games, but also good at engaging people. And that's Choco Taco. I don't know if anyone really knows who he is, but uh, Choco Taco is a PUBG streamer. Um, so nobody probably knows who he is because no one plays that game anymore, <laughs> except wow, for me. <laughs> um, but Choco is um, he's a, he's an amazing player. He's super engaging, but most importantly, he understands how to represent brands and he understands how to work with partners and sponsors to make sure that their brand is being presented in a way that um, really puts them at the forefront. So if you look at kind of like the team that I would build, um, you know, um, Nate Shot would kind of be more focused on like the business development and growing the overall company. Rick Fox would be the one that would be like the passion and he would be the one to bring in the right people to help elevate us to another level. And then Chaco would be the one to really take some of our partners and brands that we deal with and integrate them in a fun and creative way to really get um, them to, uh, to really feel like they have an affinity towards our brand as a partner. So um, that would be like my all-star celebrity team, I think. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds like a pretty top-tier yeah. all-star team. Yeah. You know, if that question came to me, I'd just be like, hmm, I don't even know where I would start. <laughs> I mean, it would be cool to have, like, Faker or Double Lift or, like, or, or someone like Bumper just because he's so funny. Um, yeah. It would be cool to have people like that, but, like, the context was business, right? So I was trying to think of people who would, like, help advance our company, and that's kind of what I went off, yeah. But there are a lot of really good, like, I don't think there's any wrong answer here. I think you're just going to get people who don't think that, your answer is as good as theirs, right? So, oh that yeah, there's probably going to be people. <laughs> like I said, very few people are going to understand what we just talked about, but yeah. most few people will have very passionate opinions about it. Oh yeah, they're going to say I'm, they're going to say I'm wrong and I'm an idiot and whatever. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to uh, gaming stadium then. So like, you know, um, you talked with COVID and everything, obviously there's going to be a lot more restrictions on some of the community events and everything that you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Are there any, you know, virtual events that you have planned or anything that, you know, um, locally or online that people can participate in if they want to keep in touch? Totally. Yeah. So um, when, when COVID first hit, uh, it was a shock to everyone. I think, you know, at the beginning it was, it was not really felt in Canada or North America. Right. And so it didn't, it hadn't hit us specifically yet. And then when it came, it came really fast. And so, you know, we made the decision to close our doors. Um, and I'm really proud of our team because five days after we closed our doors, we ran our first online tournament. And so our team uh, was able to transition really quickly and was able to really take the ball and run with it. And this was back in March. Um, you know, since then we've been putting on multiple events uh, every single month. Uh, a lot of them are, are, are with different partners. You know, currently we work with Memory Express, as I mentioned before, we work with 7-Eleven, uh, we work with uh, Daily Hive, um, you know, we work with a, a few other brands, HyperX, Red Bull, Pepsi. Um, so we're really lucky to have some partners that really are uh, helping us as we go through this in terms of promoting these events. 
So uh, the best place to go is, is always like our website, right? Thegamingstadium.com uh, or tgs.gg if you're lazy. And, um, and we have a whole events calendar and you can look it up. Um, you know, coming up this month, we've got, you know, we've got a $500, I believe, Rocket League tournament. We've got a huge Fortnite tournament. We've got a free-to-play $2,000 Valorant tournament, which is coming up on the 22nd and 23rd of August. Um, you know, and, and there's another one that I'm missing, but uh, we've got some huge events coming up at the end of this month. Um, and uh, and then in September and beyond, we're just going to continue to put on, oh yeah, we've got a big FIFA tournament, sorry, uh, on August 30th that's happening as well. So um, we listen to the community. We, we kind of try to find, you know, the games that they want to see played and that they want to be a part of. But the biggest thing for us is how can we continue to engage the people who are loyal to our brand in a time where everyone's kind of stuck at home? Um, we want to still be able to provide an outlet and provide an opportunity for people to get that competitive experience, whether it's at a casual level or at a very serious level, um, but just get that experience. So uh, we put on online tournaments like literally all the time. Um, and we've got a great team that's willing to do more if the community comes and says they want more. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, and I know I want to just wrap up this episode because there's a really burning question that I know Sam wanted me to ask you. Yeah, you're trying to blame it on me. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of beard oil do you use? That's a good question. <laughs> so, Never been um, asked that one, right? You know what? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. So let me tell you guys a, a little story about like my beard. So um, I've had one for a long time. Um, it's something that I've always kind of felt was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just been like something that I've always wanted or I'm lazy or whatever the case may be, but, um, I always had one, but up until recently, it never really was a problem for me in terms of like maintaining. Cause I always kept it kind of short. So I never really worried about like, um, I never worried about, it never got too itchy. It never got too scratchy. It was never anything like that. So, um, uh, to be honest, I haven't had to use any up until recently. Um, and uh, I just ordered some for the first time. And I don't even know the name of it because I just got it like a week ago. Um, so I can't even really answer because up until a week ago, I never had to use it. I like what you, you guys can see me, but everyone else can't. Like this is the longest my beard has ever been. And it's actually extremely short still. So I've never really had to worry about it. I, I just trim it really short um i'm i'm lame shampoo and conditioner just like <laughs> my hair and i haven't had any issues but now that it's getting a bit bigger and it's getting a bit scratchy um is uh is 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 it's time um for me to to actually you know use some so yeah doesn't really answer your question but um but yeah i think it's called like blackstone black rock something like that black something black stone or black rock or black ridge or something i can't remember yeah I, honestly i went on amazon and i did some research and this one looked good and it came with a cool wooden comb that oh. smells amazing and i was like okay this is good it's 20 bucks whatever i'll just get this one yeah that's awesome yeah that's awesome, yeah man. amazon is where i live for my e-commerce so uh yeah i trust them with my life <laughs> whatever the recommendations are right? yeah 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 so i just started using it like a week ago um but yeah, it, it doesn't smell that good, to be honest with you guys. Um, my wife always complains. Uh, <laughs> smell, so. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't pass good. the sniff test. No, it doesn't. And it's like, it's it's kind of weird. And then it gets on your hands because you have to rub it in. And it's just so I don't use it that much. But, uh, you know, it's it's actually good 
if I want to keep her away. So like if I want <laughs> if I want to play games and not be bothered, I'll just like lather it on. And it's like, <laughs> everyone leave me alone. Official beard oil of TGS. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to be alone? Use this stuff. Yeah. Oh. So, Yo, yeah. this is this has been really fun. I know for a lot of people listening that you know don't know esports, don't know gaming. Like this is all new to them. And, and, and I think I love that we're, we're having this conversation because I think honestly, like, I mean, I mean, both Gene and I are kind of biased because, because we think, you know, gaming is seen in, in a bad rap. And I think mm-hmm. it has some, there's some, you know, deep dive 50 year old miss marketing down there somewhere. And I think, I think it's, it's just this really cool up and coming industry. Like I see it in the same way that I see, see blockchain or some of the other things that we talk about here are here on the show, but this has been, you know, this has been really exciting for me. I don't know about you, Gene. Yeah, no, definitely. Like ever since, um, I mean, when I was at SFU too, like I wanted to start my gaming club and I saw like a potential there and being, getting into the streaming industry as well. Like back then, like 10 years ago, like it was almost impossible to even like make revenue or anything. But nowadays like streamers, they're literally celebrities, maybe even bigger. Like it's crazy how the different like um, tangents that the gaming industry has broken into esports, streaming, content creators, YouTubing. It's just amazing. I know that it's going to keep growing from here. Like, it's still really early, but, you know, five years down the road could be the next biggest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. I, I agree. Um, it's exciting, and I appreciate you guys having me on here to talk about it. Um, you know, like I said, in my opinion, Vancouver's at the forefront of something really special here. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think COVID has slowed that down at all. I think it's just delayed it a little bit. Um, and so, you know, any chance we get to to talk about esports is one that we'll take. Um, again, we're fortunate to have an amazing, uh, you know, team based out of here, uh, you know, in, in the Titans. Uh, we're very fortunate to have some amazing podcasts like Ready, Set, Pwn, for example. Oh, thanks um, for the plug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but hey, like, like it shows it shows the depth and the passion of our community. And those are the kind of things that set us apart from a lot of other places. And so for me, um, the community is small, but extremely passionate and extremely knowledgeable. But the biggest thing about our community that I love is it's extremely inclusive. And so anyone who's out there that's looking to learn or understand about esports, like you can call someone and they'll talk to you and then connect you to 15 other people who you should talk to as well. And that's such a cool, unique thing um, that we're really lucky to have. Oh, all right. Well, thank you. I'm going to have to wrap up the episode here, but thank you so much, Spiro, for your time and talking about esports, even talking a little bit about like parenting and gaming as well. I think that's a topic that, you know, you might not see much everywhere else. And um, to all of those that are, you know, Vancouver, um, check out the gaming stadium. It's a really great facility. I've been there a few times myself. Um, they host really great events, charity to tournaments as well. Um, and uh, yeah, for all of those that are maybe interested in going at getting into esports, like definitely take that time, look into it. Like it's a great industry for sure. Um, thank you so much, Fero, for your time once again. Awesome. And- Thanks guys for having me. Yeah. Thank you everyone for watching. Um, we'll see you on the next episode of Bits and Bites. Bye, everyone.